Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. I am so thrilled, honored, and delighted to have an extraordinary doctor on today, Dr. Melgarejo, and he is an expert in dogs, and we're going to be talking about dogs. We're going to be talking about vegan dog food. Um, Dr. Melgarejo, uh, it's a hot trend. Uh, We're going to leave brand names out of this, but I can tell you, how do I know it's a hot trend? Mark Cuban on Shark Tank invested in a vegan dog food. That shows culturally that the time has come to talk about this issue. So many people are interested in veganism for climate change, um, for uh, health, and we've talked a lot about uh, veganism and human health, but um, there's also a move to uh, provide dogs with um, alternatives to just eating other animals. So. Uh, Tell me a little bit, first of all, about yourself, your background, and how you got involved in this area. Uh, Thank you so much for the invitation, Jane. Um, I'm a a doctor in vet medicine. I got my degree in the uh, National Autonomous University of Mexico, who happens to be that it's the only uh, accredited institution in Mexico by the American Veterinary Medical Association. So you graduate from that university, you can come take your boards and then just practice in the States. Uh, After that, I came to the States and then I did a master's and a PhD at uh, Purdue University in Indiana. Uh, I followed that with a postdoctoral fellowship at North Carolina State University. Then I missed clinics and I went back to do my internship in uh, small animal internal medicine uh, at Texas A&M and I finished my clinical postgraduate training at University of Pennsylvania with a residency in small animal internal medicine. So that's my, my background. So how did you get interested in dogs and dog food? Um, well, dogs have always been my, my companion since I was a, a, a very young uh, human. Dogs have been always with me, but I was very uh, privileged because they were all, not only dogs, they were also cats and a, a lot of animals that I had uh, during my uh, childhood. Um, when I started doing vet medicine and uh, I was at school, I realized that there was a lot of there were a lot of similarities between human and dog physiology, and that actually was very interesting because I I could understand better my uh, body functioning and at the same time trying to help uh, dogs. Uh, I fast forward this situation and then probably about 10 years ago, I started uh, realizing that people were talking about uh, uh, vegan uh, food for dogs and some of these dogs that were uh, eating not any animal product. And because of my uh, training and my uh, work, I'm privileged to travel. So um, one of my areas of of specialization is immunonutrition, how nutrition can actually improve your immune system and your health overall. And I started talking to people in in Asia, in Indonesia, in in Malaysia, in in, uh, in Africa and Latin America about diets and what do they feed the dogs. And I soon realized that not all the countries and not all the people actually were feeding animal products to their dogs. And they look healthy, they look happy. And I talked to breeders in, in Asia, uh, and the diets were pretty much 100% plant-based diets. So I said, well, there's something to investigate about this, this situation. And that um, I, with my training, I started just doing more research until about five years ago, we came to the conclusion that we needed to do something with solid scientific basis to support uh, this, uh, this trend about, okay, can dogs eat with a 100% meat-free diet? And that's what we are doing right now. So let me ask you a little bit about that because in history, dogs are one of the first signs of uh, the domestication of dogs, uh, human civilization. And uh, the dog-human connection is incredibly old. 
And so what myth tells us is the caveman was a hunter, ate meat, and fed the dogs meat scraps. But in reality, we are seeing now a lot of incredibly ancient human skeletons discovered, and they didn't have dental floss in those days. And they're searching between their teeth and they're studying. And it turns out that these ancient humans were primarily plant-based. When you think about it, um, they didn't have factory farming. They didn't have fast food. Hunting was a difficult process. So the idea that they would just eat that, the caveman eating meat, is really just this false narrative. And when you think about it, if the dogs would follow the tribes and eat the scraps, if the humans weren't eating 100% meat, that means the animals wouldn't be eating 100% meat. And we all know we can throw a scrap to our dogs that is not meat, and they will quite often gobble it up because they like scraps. So can you elaborate a little bit about that, about sort of our historical myths about um, the human-dog connection and what what the myths about what humans ate. I mean, we're finding out the gladiators were mostly plant-based. Uh, and we're finding out these ancient humans were mostly plant-based, which makes sense when you think about it, when you take away that narrative that has sort of been forced on us. We're kind of doing a revisionist history about food. Uh, take it away, doctor. Uh, thank you, Jane. Well, uh, first of all, uh, a disclosure. Um, I've been working in the States in academia for about 31 years, and I have been quite happy, and I have had hundreds and thousands of students, brilliant young uh, individuals that have actually helped me and encouraged me to do my, my work. Um, but it's important to say that uh, I am an evidence-based person. So everything that uh, we are trying to communicate here and I do with my research is based on science because I can give you an opinion that I read a book and this book tell, told me this and that and, and the caveman. So, but uh, we need to, uh, in order to be, I think, credible, uh, in my opinion, we, we need to provide the facts. And when you do that to people, when people come and say, no, dogs are 100% carnivores and cats are obligatory carnivores, uh, that's what they have seen, they understand, but the... The situation is that we need to provide scientific evidence that that's not the case. And when you present data that is called numbers and facts to people that is evidence-based, they cannot get mad at me because pretty much they need to look at the data. So I'm going to answer that question that, uh, or that comment that you just made about dogs and evolution. So uh, really, we don't know when the dog... Uh, came into the human life as a companion. There's some evidence that they, they, they said 18,000 years ago, 33,000 years ago, but there's new evidence that uh, appears to, to be that it's uh, around 50,000 years ago. So uh, what happened when the, the, the wolves uh, actually came in contact with humans, they started uh, to being a little bit more sedentary and they started sharing the same diet. Uh, and there is a paper uh, that just came in Nature in 2013 that actually that is one of the most elegant papers that actually talks and resumes absolutely everything that you're saying. They look, this group, they look at 3.8 genetic variants between the wolves and the dogs. And they represented about 36 genomic regions and they found 10 genes that were related to digestion. And the conclusion of the paper is that dogs, through evolution, have evolved to uh, be highly adaptable to digest starch, carbohydrates. And when you do that, and then you look at the paper, what, what they are actually mentioning is that these genes were highly um, uh, targeted by evolution because, first of all, they uh, produce more amylase, the dogs, in the, in the salivary glands and in the system to digest the big carbohydrates. Then they produce a second enzyme to make these carbohydrates even smaller to the form of glucose. And the third gene is at the level of the intestine that it's going to allow the glucose to be absorbed in a higher 
uh, fashion. So when you look at this paper and they, they look at all these things, they're telling you dogs are completely different from wolves when it comes to the digestive system. Mm -hmm. And what we have seen uh, is that uh, there's not a lot of papers that talk about um, plant-based diet for dogs, but what uh, one of the papers that I want to mention is they use Siberian Huskies. And Siberian Huskies is one of the ancient breeds that we know that they have been with us probably for 6,000 years or more. And these Siberian Huskies, um, the paper talks about these uh, dogs that were in competition, sled dogs, and they followed them for 16 weeks. So they took a group of six dogs and then they fed them a meat-based diet and six dogs that they fed them a meat-free diet, and they followed them before competition, during competition, and after competition. And they measured three blood parameters. And both groups performed great. Both groups didn't, do, uh, didn't have absolutely any health issue. And when they looked at uh, the, the parameters, they didn't develop anemia. Actually, both groups developed what it's called functional polycythemia. That is, you produce more red blood cells because these are elite dogs that they were in competition, so they produce more red blood cells to have better oxygenation, even with a diet that is a meat-free diet. So there is scientific evidence that actually is telling us that the dog is able to eat a, a plant-based diet without any um, health issues. However, probably 98% of the community, the veterinary community is gonna tell you, Jane, no. You're crazy. Dogs, they need to eat meat. They are born to eat meat. And what my group is trying to do with the help of fabulous people from Los Angeles and around the um, United States, including you, Jane, is try to document with scientific evidence that dogs can actually not only live, but they can thrive in a plant-based diet. And I can explain a little bit more about the feeding trial that we just completed. Yes, and I know that a lot of it is right now not yet published, and I just want you to only discuss what you are free to discuss. And, uh, but I want to give people an overview first. If dogs in the United States were a country, what would their ranking be in terms of a meat-eating nation or however you want to describe that? Because that's really important for us to realize how much meat uh, our companion animals are eating uh, Americans and others consider themselves to a large degree dog animal lovers, but if they're in the process of feeding their dogs, killing a lot of other animals in horrific factory farming conditions, which appears to be the case, then we've got a uh, disconnect. So maybe you could elaborate a little bit on that, doctor. Uh, yes, Jane. So uh, for that, there's a, a very solid, very elegant paper that was published by Dr. Oking from UCLA in 2017, where he actually made the calculations about the dietary energy, how much dietary energy uh, are our dogs and cats um, actually consuming in the United States. And conservatively, we know that a... a United States is the largest uh, pet-owned population in the world. And it's calculated that we have around between 175 million to 200 million dogs and cats that go to the vet every year. So when Dr. Oking calculated everything, uh, how much dietary energy this uh, group of uh, animals consume, he calculated that it's about 62 million people eating the same amount of, of meat. And actually, in the conclusions in the discussion of the paper, he said that when it comes to U.S., it would be an equivalent to a 380 million uh, uh, people in terms of the raw dietary energy consumed. And if you rank just dogs and cats in the United States, it would be the ninth uh, ranking country for eating meat around the world. I mean, we are using a lot of uh, animal products to feed our dogs and cats. And uh, there's a lot of promotion of grain-free dog food. Um, it's, there's really a lot of a 
advertising around the idea that your dogs need uh, to eat uh, other animals. Uh, and I always joke because I have a couple of chihuahuas here and I say they, they wouldn't do very well against a pig or a cow. <laughs> they're, they're tiny. So um, what can you tell us about your study? Well, um, after traveling and talking to a lot of people, and I can give you an example. I was talking to a very nice gentleman in Thailand, and he was a breeder, a very ethical, compassionate breeder. And he was telling me, Dr. Melgarejo, the only thing that I give my dogs is boiled lentils and dehydrated alfalfa. That's the diet for my dogs. And I can use that diet for lactating uh, uh, dogs, for elderly dogs, for pups, for everything, and look at them, and they looked uh, quite healthy and amazing. But that, uh, Jane, is anecdotal. That's an opinion. That's something that I saw, that he told me. Uh, and, but that situation repeated in different countries, uh, in, in Mexico, in Latin America, in Patagonia, a lot of people, they were staying away from the meat and feeding that. So our study uh, decided, okay, first of all, we need, we know that it has to be a very well balanced diet. We cannot just give our dogs peas and lettuce and tofu and expect that they're going to be uh, nutritionally uh, balanced. So we wanted to find a uh, uh, vegan diet that was commercially available, we looked at different options in the States and we selected one, but we took that particular diet and we sent it for nutritional analysis, what is called a bromatological analysis. So we told a third company, highly reputable company, to say, okay, tell me how much protein, how much carbohydrates, vitamins, minerals, and then we compared that to the National Research Council to see, okay, is a uh, is this diet fulfilling the requirements for a dog diet? And we looked at uh, AFCO and we looked at the National Research Council and we found a diet that actually fulfilled all the requirements. Once we have this diet that was 100% uh, plant-based diet, animal-free uh, uh, diet, we uh, didn't want to go and treat uh, or feed beagles uh, in a lab animal setting. I, Philosophically, I, I, I don't share that um, about uh, animal uh, laboratories. So we talked to our students and to our staff at the vet school and said, you know, we are going to do this feeding trial and we are looking for guardians that are willing to come and switch the diet over the next two weeks, a, a meat-based diet that they were receiving over the next two weeks to a, a plant-based diet and follow the dogs for a year. So uh, some of the students and staff and faculty disagree on that. And we had 15 dogs and we collected all the samples and parameters at before the transition of the diet. And then we uh, sampled those uh, dogs at zero months uh, before the transition, three months, six months, nine months, and 12 months. We followed those dogs for a year. And the study that was published uh, uh, with the sled dogs, these uh, um, Siberian Huskies, they use three parameters. They use hemoglobin, red blood cells, and pack cell volume. So pretty much they focus on the red blood cells. Uh, and that's a good study, but uh, it has limitations. So what we wanted to do is to say, okay, how can we show the scientific community, the veterinary community, the comparative gastrointestinal community, that dogs are going to be healthier eating a plant-based diet. So we decided to measure every single parameter that we could do uh, that are available right now. So just to give you an idea, uh, we are measuring close to 300 parameters. The, the study that was published, it was three parameters, hemoglobin, red blood cells, and pack, uh, uh, cell volume. Our study is looking at 300 parameters. We are measuring every single vitamin that is lipid-soluble, uh, water-soluble. We are measuring amino acids, free amino acids. We uh, are measuring all the chemistry panels. We are looking at liver enzymes, absolutely everything. And in addition of that, we are looking at how the intestinal microflora changes with time. So we are doing an intestinal microbiota 
analysis that is really heavy and you're talking about probably hundreds of parameters there. So we uh, finished the study in January and we are analyzing our data, but we are talking about mega data. We, we have thousands of parameters that we need to connect. What I can tell you is that after following these dogs with a 100% plant-based diet, they remain clinically healthy. The owners, uh, the, the guardians, they, they said they have more energy. Interestingly enough, some of the dogs were uh, overweight and one was obese, and they actually, the trend was to bringing them to a normal weight using a scale to one to nine. So overall, I can tell you that following these uh, uh, dogs for 12 months with uh, really nice uh, guardians that they were very concerned and they actively participated in the study, we can say that we didn't have any medical issues, medical problems. However, we need to look into the parameters. We need to document everything. We need to write the papers. We need to send it to a peer review, strict peer review in good journals, so we can actually let the veterinary community know the new uh, generation of veterinarians, the students, the interns, the residents that are going to be board certified, that a plant-based diet is an option uh, and we follow clinically healthy dogs. Uh, and, and that's the first step. Now, after that, we have many more studies coming, but this, this is in a nutshell what we did for our study, Jane. So let me ask you a question. For those just um, trying to incorporate more plant-based foods into their dog's diets, what, how would you suggest, and I understand this is not part of your study, this is just me asking you as a veterinarian, um, sometimes it's hard to get dogs to change. You also don't want to change diets very rapidly with dogs. So let's say somebody's listening and says, hmm, you know, maybe I can start incorporating more uh, plant-based food into my dog's diet. What, what's the advice to get, to get that ball rolling and do it in a way that's reasoned and calm and doesn't cause any side effects? Um, it's a good question, Jane. The, my, my first recommendation is that if you're going to uh, switch or, or transition your dog's diet to a more plant-based diet, you need to use a diet that has been documented to be balanced. Yeah, and I, I don't need to get into brand names here. Oh, no, no. But I can tell you that there are four or five uh, re reputable companies in the States that actually provide uh, vegan diets. There are some large companies, large pet food companies that have been um, here for decades selling a meat-based diet for, for dogs that actually they have in their um, uh, selling portfolio vegan diets, but they don't call it vegan. They call it something responsive, something. So they, they don't like to, to bring the attention that it's a, a vegan diet but when you look at the diet, it, it has no animal product with exception of vitamin D3 that comes from, uh, from uh, the uh, wool from, from sheep. Uh, so that's the, the only thing. But there's a lot of, uh, not a lot, but you have different options to actually provide a good vegan diet. So that, that is the, the number one. You need to make sure that it's a, a nutritionally balanced uh, diet. And if you Google, a ton will come up. But let me ask you for people who want to do homemade diets for dogs and they're feeding their dog one thing. I know that um, they say don't switch your dog's diets overnight, that that's not a good thing, that you have to do it incrementally. So what are some homemade products that you would recommend? You've, you've mentioned lentils before, but what else? Uh, well, uh, and Jane, I'm going to... Uh comment on that, but it's not going to be a recommendation because the board-certified nutritionists are going to be very unhappy because they uh, okay. truly believe that you cannot provide full, well-balanced nutrition with a homemade diet unless mm -hmm. it's supervised by one of them and they tell you some things. However... Well, that's important. That's important. I mean, uh, you know, just doing something at home... Um, might not uh, meet those nutritional requirements. So I get that and I understand that. And again, um, if, if it's something that you don't feel comfortable answering, don't answer it. I, I just, uh, 
wanted to get an overview on this issue. Maybe you could provide an overview of where we're at on that. Uh, um, uh, Meat-free, animal-free diet uh, that is homemade. Actually, there's a, a, a commercial product that is called veggie. I don't remember, but it's a, a, a supplement uh, from one of the DVMs that actually uh, he incorporates vitamins and minerals and all these products that if you're going to eat, 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 uh, feed your dog uh, lentils and tofu and, and peas and, and, and potatoes and things like that, you need to supplement that because it, most likely it has taurine and carnitine. So this supplement, you need to add it to, to the diet. But scientifically and in the vet medical community, veterinary medical community, we know that homemade diets, long-term, it's highly likely that are going to be uh, not nutritionally balanced. And that's what, if it's a short term, if your dog was hit by a car and and he was in in surgery, is recovering, he's not feeling well, he's a little bit sad. Well, you can provide something that is going to entice that dog to actually eat and then just pamper it for a a week or so. Uh, But mid to long term, the uh, uh, general consensus is that it's practically impossible to actually do that uh, with a home uh, diet. Okay, uh, we got a caller. Rob, your question or thought for Dr. Melgarejo. Hi, uh, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm a dog trainer. Um, I, I've heard a lot about the people switching to the vegan diets, and I've heard very good things about it for the dogs uh, that they've lived you know, 18 years as opposed to the 12 years. Uh, and so one of the, one, as a dog trainer, I used to have to use, you know, turkey or chicken or, you know, cheese, but as a vegan, I won't use that. And I started using uh, vegan veggie dogs, which I've noticed the dogs eat, take just as, a, just as much as a high value treat. In fact, people will say that their dog won't take anything except meat and they'll hand them a veggie dog and the dog goes right after it. So uh, my question is, how soon do you think, um, what would it take to really convert more brands to go into a vegan dog food? Yeah, and, and once again, that's, thank you, Rob, for that question. That is um, uh, your experience, and that's wonderful. Um, overall, we're, we're just trying to stay away from brands today on this uh, subject. Oh. So, um but I understand what you're saying is to, to train dogs, they get treats. And traditionally, they have been fed meat treats as a reward. So that's, I think, very interesting is the treat issue um, and how you get dogs to want to eat a plant-based diet. Do you find that, they, um, that there are tricks to transitioning dogs to crave a plant-based diet? Uh, because we understand that dogs traditionally from just our observational experience, if they see meat scraps, they go after them. Dr. Melgarejo. Um, thank you, Rob, for your question. Um, so let me uh, address uh, Rob's question, and then I will comment on, on your question, uh, Jane. Uh, I think the, the situation about a dog liking uh, a vegan diet most of my clients that actually transition, they, they put their dogs and then they transitioned into a vegan diet. They said, what if the dog doesn't like the, the vegan food? Then you, you don't enter into the study. That, that's fine. But I can tell you that all the dogs that were fed uh, this particular vegan uh, diet, they liked it. They liked it really much. And I told them, we need to do the transition. In two weeks, we are going to start with one-fourth of the new diet, 75% of the old diet, we are going to do it for four days, and then 50-50 for four days, then 75-25 for four days, and then we are going to actually do the 100%. Um, some students, some, some uh, guardians, they told me, oh, I'm sorry, Dr. Melgarejo, I forgot, I just fed him the new diet, and he hasn't had any issues at all. So they, inadvertently, they just fed the diet with no gastrointestinal upset or, or issues to some of these dogs. So this uh, situation about palatability hasn't, uh, was not an issue with this particular uh, diet. Now, Rob, your question is how uh, feasible or how quick these companies are going to uh, transition to a, a pet uh, uh, food diet that is going to be vegan. 
Well, you need to think about four things. That is, one is the awareness the, that the, the guardians, the, uh, I don't like to call it the owners because dogs are beautiful creatures and they have amazing souls. So we don't own them. We guard them and they guard us. So the, the guardians, uh, they need to be aware of that. N number two, the availability. Some of these diets, you only can get them online uh, because they are not sold in, in huge commercial uh, retail centers. Uh, the number three is price. For some reason, because the volume is, is less, the price is not really uh, competitive. And the number fourth is the, the taste. So I, I think the taste is not really an issue, but um, uh, once companies realize that actually there's more awareness about these, these situations. I think we're going to see a transition about that. I have uh, a lecture that we talk about uh, health benefits of uh, a plant-based diet from a comparative aspects in humans and, and dogs, uh, the environmental uh, carbon footprint of this, this uh, dog and, and food, um, dog and uh, cat and dog foods and, and et cetera, that actually make people aware of, of that. So that's, uh, that's the, what I can tell you. And then the, the comment from Jane, uh, remind me again, Jane, you said something well, about- let me, let me move on, because we are running out of time. You're, you're raising an important, very important point, is that we're, as a society, as a, society, as a global culture, talking about the uh, tremendous negative impact of animal agriculture on our planet. Uh, causing climate change, habitat destruction, wildlife extinction, human world hunger, human health issues. Uh, so it doesn't matter who's eating them. Uh, animal agriculture is having a negative impact and uh, a growing number of scientists and environmentalists are saying, as a culture, we need to uh, reduce and Bill Gates recently said we need the Western world needs to switch to synthetic meat, period, meaning switch to a plant based diet. So for environmental reasons, given that you said and correct me if I'm wrong, that American dogs would be the ninth largest meat eating country in the world if, if it was measured as a nation in itself. Is that correct? Yeah, it's about the size of Italy, about 60 million people. It's calculated that they eat, consume the dietary energy for 60 million people, yes. So for environmental reasons alone, we need to start uh, looking at this issue of uh, dogs and the meat consumption. So just like it was a slow start with vegan diets and plant-based diets for humans, but now it's an incredible trend just went on the computer this morning and uh, Oatly popped up as one of the hottest stocks that recently went public. Uh, just to give you an idea that um, that's an oat milk company. Uh, there was Beyond Meat. Uh, there's a lot of talk about other vegan companies going public. There's, there's just a lot in the um, cosmos right now. Uh, the media cosmos about vegan vegan food for humans. Uh, not as much for dogs, although I did mention to you that Mark Cuban made a splash on the hit show Shark Tank by uh, investing in one. So where do you see us if you use the analogy of the trend toward vegan food for people? Where are we on that continuum when it comes to vegan dog food. Uh, do you feel we're at just the infancy of that? And what is going to be needed to get people to open their minds to the idea? Because I think a lot of dog guardians are closed to this issue. Um, uh, yes, uh, Jane, I think um, with the power of the media nowadays, I, I think the transition is going to be quicker and it's going to be uh, unexpectedly good for, for, for the planet, I, I hope. Uh, if you think about just the dog and the cat uh, carbon footprint in the States takes about 25% of what Americans actually are, are uh, producing of the carbon footprint. Um, when it, talks to, when it comes to the vegan diet, these clients, for example, um, they switch and then they call, they call me and they say, you know, Dr. Mollerejo, 
Uh, I have a nice uh, uh, backyard uh, garden and the fecal material is drier. It's easier to clean. It's great. So uh, in addition that my dog is doing uh, fabulously, uh, I, my husband doesn't complain about cleaning that or the dog is actually uh, losing weight. The dog is more energetic and they talk to people and people say, what, what uh, are the uh, product that you're using? And people are calling, can I actually be part of this, uh, this uh, clinical trial? Can I get the food? And they ask me, can I come and buy the food from the pet health center at Western? I said, no, you, you actually need to do it. So people are, are aware of, of, of this situation. And I have been using for probably about 10 years uh, diet as medication, as, as treatment. I have some dogs with chronic diarrhea of unknown origin that they have been uh, having all these treatments and visiting so many vets and we use the, the diet as treatment and some of them, they have responded beautifully. I have a patient, I was visiting, giving some lectures in Uruguay and this dog was one year of age, cachectic. It was just so sad to see him and he, he was one year. His name is uh, Moro. And uh, the owner told me, please help me. And what we did is we switched gradually from a uh, meat-based to a plant-based diet. And Moro now is probably five, six years of age. And he's a, a, a very robust, beautiful creature. And that's anecdotically, but that happens over and over and over when I treat these patients. So the second part of the trial is to use this um, plant food uh, diet uh, as treatment for some chronic gastrointestinal disorder. So people are going to, to become aware as long as there's companies that are willing to invest and they the price is competitive because price is, it may be an issue uh, here, Jay. So we need more investors to actually look in, into that uh, because it's not very competitive compared to other more affordable brands. So um, tell us what you can about your study and where it's going and what we can look forward to and what you think the impact is going to be. Uh, the study is done. Actually, some of the uh, guardians, they were so happy. They said, can we just keep going with the study? So right now we, we're one year and a half and we continue, but we stop at one year because we want to publish. Short term, Jane, we are hoping to put two solid publications in highly reputable journals that the uh, vet community reads and understands and know that if it's published in this journal, it's a good study so they, they can be aware that do clinically healthy dogs can live a he happy, healthy life for at, least, for at least 12 months eating a plant-based diet. So that's the short term. We need to document that they are nutritionally uh, uh, well, uh, uh, that they didn't have any nutritional deficiencies, that they were healthy, and actually the uh, intestinal uh, flora went into a, a positive uh, situation. That's the short term. The, the midterm is that uh, with this trend about plant-based diets and, and grain-free diets and, and the boutique diets and all things, people are concerned because some of these diets have been reported by the FDA that, uh, that they may cause some cardiac problems, some uh, cardiopathies. Uh, Dr. Lisa Freeman at uh, Tufts University is actually doing a very good job uh, documenting that. But it may be that people say, okay, a grain-free diet, it's, they call it non-traditional diets. And plant-based diets are within this uh, group of diets that are called non-traditional diets. So we just need to make sure that we document that dogs that are eating a plant-based diet are not going to have any cardiac issues with uh, uh, eating this diet at the long term. And that's one of the uh, major concerns that we have right now that we need to actually get this, this machine going and visit the, the, house, uh, the houses of the people that own these plant-based uh, diet uh, dogs and do the echocardiography. We have uh, a cardiologist here in the team, Dr. Annika Linie, and she's willing to go. So we need to document that plant-based diets that are well-balanced are not going to cause the issues that these non-traditional diets may cause. So that's the, the, the mid-term and the long-term is just to create a, 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 life, a, a life health center that actually is focused on um, the lifestyle of, of veganism for humans and for dogs. So you don't wanna be lumped in with other non-traditional diets that may not be healthy uh, just because you're under the term non-traditional diet. Uh, very interesting. So, um, 
after that, after it's published, uh, then it would uh, hopefully inspire conversation. One of the last things I want to talk to you about is the uh, veterinary community, uh, because quite often, if you take your dog to the vet and they will give you a sample, they will insist that you have this sample of meat, uh, dog food for your dog. Um, they, there's, it's just like with the uh, human health community, a lot of doctors who, who doctors don't get a lot of uh, education in nutrition. That's pretty much well established. And there are organizations like Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine that's composed with something like 18,000 plant-based medical professionals that's trying to change that. But uh, there's sort of a parallel issue in the uh, veterinary community uh, when it comes to having sort of that knee-jerk, your dog has to eat meat. And um, we've all, I think, uh, experienced that at the vet where we're told that this has to be the diet. Um, do you see veterinarians, the veterinary community sort of opening up to a dialogue about this? Yes, Jane, but the first step is we need to publish. We need to document. Because if you go to the vet and the vet is telling you, no, Jane, you need to give this diet, and you say, no, Dr. Margarejo, a question is doing, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change. And vets are, not, are, are, are going to protect their patients because there's no literature. But if you have a couple of papers in highly reputable journals, say, look, there's a study, and, and then they say, okay, and then they have the opportunity to write to the editor and say, Dr. Melgarejo's study, I think it's not uh, well designed because of this and how is it possible? And the conversation will start at that level because if we don't educate our vet students and our veterinary community, it's not going to happen. It's, it's just uh, vets, uh, we are trained that dogs and cats are carnivores, period, and they need meat to, to, uh, to survive. And we have shown, and actually this feeding trial is the first feeding trial for a plant-based diet in the history of modern uh, uh, humanism. So it's, there's not a, a, a feeding trial that has lasted 12 uh, months that have evaluating more than 300 parameters with dogs receiving 100% plant-based diet, including the treats. So this is going to be really interesting and it's going to spark a lot of attention and we are going to have positive and negative uh, input about that, but that's the point that we need to start a conversation again, but in a scientific manner. We need to publish. We need to defend our data in, with uh, evidence-based uh, facts, not what we believe and not with our opinions. Yeah, so a dialectic amongst scientists, veterinarians, about this whole issue to get uh, the conversation going. I, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, in a sense, your, your paper is not so much for the general public. It's not going to be on the front cover of the New York Post, <laughs> but it's more for the community, the, uh, the medical community, the veterinary community to look at. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes. We, we need to uh, talk to our peers and to say, look, this is the data so they can actually uh, at least accept that these clinically healthy dogs can live for 12 months and then start questioning and doing that. And we need to keep publishing and documented every single time. Now, you, you mentioned something very important. We need to translate that to the community. We need to uh, publish lay, uh, uh, papers and in, in lay uh, people journals to say, guess what? There's a study that actually was just published and dogs can actually live with a well-balanced diet uh, for a good numbers of, of months. And that's very important. So, but we are targeting the veterinary community. That's the most important thing. More the guys that are coming behind me, uh, new graduates, interns, residents, to realize that we prove with scientific facts that dogs can be 100% a plant-based diet if we supplement everything in the diet. It's a, I'm not uh, sponsoring or I'm not uh, claiming that dogs can live with just uh, uh, tofu and, and, and lentils. That's not the point. The point is that it has to be a, a very well-designed uh, plant-based diet. Yeah, and it's like humans too. I mean, technically you could say you could eat vegan cookies and call yourself a vegan, but obviously you're not going to be nutritionally sound with that. That's why we advocate a whole foods plant-based diet that's filled with a wide variety of fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, and legumes for human consumption. So uh, just like uh, any diet, if it's, if it's not nutritionally complete, 
uh, it's going to have problems. So um, do you feel the work you're doing is, I'm getting the sense that it's quite historic. Uh, we are very excited. It's uh, completely different from what industry has actually published, what we are trained, what we educate our students. So, of course, it's going to be uh, uh, documents that are going to be disrupting the, the, the status quo, but we are hoping to do it in a scientific uh, uh, manner to actually uh, uh, distribute the knowledge in a very professional way. That's what we need to do and then educate our, our clients too. But we, we are aware of that, uh, Jane, and that comes to the point that when we tried to do these studies, it was difficult to fund because they said, no, you, that's not true. Dogs are carnivores. What are you talking about? So I want to thank all the people that actually came together and sponsored the first uh, clinical trial. I mean, foundations and trust funds and, and regular uh, amazing people that said, Dr. Melgarejo, they donated to the university. We pulled together a good, because it's very expensive to do that, and we did it. And the second phase, we are going to relay, uh, rely on, on these people because uh, science is expensive. In the States, science is expensive. This study is going to cost us close to $200,000. So it's not easy to, to actually publish good science if you have only a few thousand dollars. So thank you for all the people, including you, to support this research. I want to get back to, yes, there's a lot of people who, who made your work possible and who are concerned about just bringing this world along to a, a healthier, more environmentally uh, sound, more sustainable place. I want to get back and circle back to your credentials because you've published many studies. We're, we're just about out of time. Tell us you know, your experience. In other words, you're not just anybody putting this together. You have a long track record of being able to publish studies. Dr. Melgarejo. Uh, well, uh, yes, Jane, but I have always uh, tried to publish relevant, clinically relevant studies because uh, it's not a point that Dr. Melgarejo has 400 published papers, but there's no translation to the community and there's no avoidance of pain and suffering to the animals. So, yeah, I can be a great publisher without doing the translation. We just published, uh, uh, we have several papers on uh, a, a in preparation, but we just published a, a paper that actually demonstrates that dogs, they have an amazing bacterial and fungal community in the urine in clinically healthy dogs. And we followed them for 18 months and we found 231 species of bacteria living in harmony with the dogs. And that is dis disrupting because we believed in the past that urine was sterile, that a, a positive culture was a single bacteria causing disease. So this is the kind of literature that my group is trying to, to, to do. If we're going to publish something, it's something that is going to make the community uh, think and also that is something that is clinically relevant. How can we improve the well-being of our amazing uh, companion animals? And uh, you, do you also teach, doctor? And um, how are your students uh, responding to all this? Because they might be kind of... Uh, Oh, a sample of how others in this community. Oh, 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 yeah. Some students are really happy. They come and say, Dr. Marefo, what you're doing is amazing. I feel that, but I, I haven't found any vet that actually opens like, uh, uh, talks openly like you. So thank you for doing that. And some of my students told me, you know, some a group of, of students think that you're crazy, that you're the Mexican-American doctor that, that is, is feeding uh, vegan uh, diet to, to, doctors, uh, to dogs, and they believe that you, you're a little bit off. But that's, that's the reaction that I want you to have. But if, if we, I sit with the students and I say, this is the scientific proof that actually this works, it's different because they cannot say anything unless they have scientific proof that doesn't work. And then we can establish a very nice scientific panel to say, okay, this is the data, this is the data. Let's just compare it. But if they give me their opinions and I'm giving the scientific data, well, that's my, my job to educate, to train, to form a new veterinarians with uh, scientific uh, evidence. But you, you're uh, right. And, and what you've described is what everybody who's on the forefront of change experiences. I mean, there's even a song about it. They all laughed at Christopher Columbus when he said the world was round. Uh, that's an old song <laughs> that my parents used to sing. Uh, uh, yeah. And, yeah, so when uh, we are at the forefront of change and bringing new ideas to the world. 
um, there's often this reaction from people who are used to certain traditions of resistance. And the way to counteract that resistance is with proof. And so I think what you're doing is incredibly important because we could talk about this all day and night, but it would be more, I guess, intuitive logic, which is often wrong. And uh, that's why science is crucial. So I, I just think the work you're doing is absolutely amazing. And we can't wait to uh, find out uh, the results of all of your work. When, when do you expect, what's your timeline as we wrap up? We only have a couple of minutes. Uh, we're uh, getting the data within the next four to six weeks, the last batch of data. Um, and this megadata is being analyzed, but we hope that within the next four months, we have the first draft and we're gonna send the paper. So I am uh, optimistic that before Christmas of this year, we may have the first uh, publication. And believe me, I'm gonna let you know because it's not going to be a, um, a quiet time when we publish this. It's, it's, it's going to move some some things, and that that is the point, because I, I'll do it for love, for the animals, for the planet, but that's, I get paid to educate and, and to create knowledge at the university level. If we don't create it, there's no one that is going to do it just, just because of it. My job is to create knowledge, and what a beautiful thing to create knowledge, improving the well-being of our, our, our animal friends. Well, we'll have you back after your study is published. And uh, of course, part of it is to let the world know that this study exists. So that's going to be very important. Dr. Melgaray, I want to thank you for joining us. I know you're very busy teaching, studying, doing research. Uh, it's been an honor to speak with you. Uh, and uh, I wish you the best as you move forward. And uh, again, uh, stay tuned to janeunchained.com. Visit janeunchained.com. We're going to be actually focusing a lot on vegan dog food. And one of the reasons is that we were doing a little analysis and found out that there's a tremendous interest out there. Uh, we did an article on vegan dog food a while back, and it is one of our most viewed articles ever on Jane Unchained. And it remains so, uh, like year after year. So we decided we're going to focus more on the subject. People are interested. They want to know more. So uh, once again, thank you, Dr. Mel Garejo. Thank you always to Voice America Radio, our executive producer, Tacey Trump, and uh, Andrew in the control room. Thank you so much for letting us have this thank conversation. Thank you for the attention, Jane. It was a pleasure. All right, thank you, doctor. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.